hello, friends, and welcome back. My name is Sergio, and I am the handler for Mayday's Delta Green campaign, doomed to repeat. With me, as always, is the only man who's left a five-star Yelp review for Hotel Brottlebin. It's Black Project Gaming's Vince. Happy New Year, my friend. Hey, happy new year to you too, man. Hope it was a good one. Uh, good to be here. And of course, glad to have you all tuning in and joining us. We, of course, are part of Mayday Roleplay. We play tabletop role-playing games like Delta Green, uh, Vampire the Masquerade, 5e, Orpheus, and a whole hell of a lot more. We have something for everyone. Uh, all of it available in podcast or video format, and even better, completely free. So check out our catalog. We have a Patreon. We're joining for as little as $2. We'll grant you access to our Discord community, behind-the-screen content, and even better, original artwork. It is a new year, 2024, but as we both know, Vince... Time is an illusion down here in Carcosa. So I suggest that you sit back, relax, maybe take a snuff of some Melonia, and let the Yellow King take the wheel, because you have found the Dead Drop, a guide to running impossible landscapes. Vince, we have finally hit the turning point in the story of impossible landscapes, where everything stops making sense. We are covering today like a map made of skin, and we're going to get into Hotel Brottlebit. As a warning, spoilers are ahead for the scenario like a map made of skin. If you are a player in an Impossible Landscapes campaign, you need to jump down the laundry chute soul bottle first. But if you are interested in running or currently running this campaign, you are in the right place. Okay, we've got the business out of the way. Vince, please help us understand, what is Like a Map Made of Skin about? First and foremost, I mean, really, the the whole goal of Like a Map Made of Skin is getting the players to the Hotel Brottlebin, to the Whisper Labyrinth, and through into Carcosa. Uh, it is all about the lead up to the chase, the chase itself, and then the ultimate destination being uh, the steps right outside that uh, anomalous hotel they've been hearing about and seeing hints of since session one. Uh, it is really the beginning of the end for all intents and purposes. It's also a great chance to fit in any of those last bits and bobs that you were not able to get to uh, in the previous scenarios. Um, there's a lot of uh, space for things like the bookstore or maybe finally visiting uh, Dr. Barbus, uh, going to the Samagina residence. So it's a good moment to get back to some of the things you didn't get a chance to showcase to the players if they go down those roads. It really is. Yeah, this part is is very free form and free flowing in that a lot of it is going to rely upon the decisions that the players make, are making at this point in time. You know, now that they are, um, you know, on the other side of Dorchester House and, and this latest iteration of the Night World, what do they do now with this information that they've gathered with, you know, the, these glimpses they've caught of Carcosa and the Yellow King's influence? So um, be prepared for it to go literally anywhere um, yeah. because it really what, what this is going to hinge on is playing off of your players' decisions while sprinkling in the the hints of what's to come in the form of the various static team uh, f manifestations and finally culminating, it, culminating in that uh, absolute balls of the wall chase scene. Uh, 
by way of example, I'll, you know, uh, refer back to my campaign uh, if you haven't listened yet you know spoilers ahead but uh, my players decided they wanted to investigate uh, Barbus some more so they went back to his house which is where they found all of the stuff that they missed in that that uh, a volume of secret faces they now had an opportunity to to look into Barbus himself and how he had fallen under the sway of the king in yellow Kind of the newer stuff here is, you know, of course, the clockwork world in Barbus's house, which is just one set piece, you know, among the house itself, and then the chase. The other thing I should mention are the gifts and the insights, mm-hmm. um, which are a big part of, uh, I guess you could say, the player's unnatural arsenal at this point. They they come to play or could play a very critical role in keeping that plot moving forward, depending on what gifts and insights you give out. Um, Now, what am I talking about? So gifts and insights. These are abilities that the players now have, having emerged from the night world and having fallen even more under the sway of the king in yellow, under his influence. They now have the ability to do uh, very strange and unusual things. Uh, The book suggests either rolling uh, 1d100 and then adding the player's corruption value for each individual to give them both a gift and an insight. What I did was I just essentially took what I knew about the players and their characters from all these past sessions and assigned a gift and an insight based on how they've been playing the game so far and based on some of the decisions they've made. So for, I'll, you know, I'll use, for example, Jack's character um, had the gift of uh, a permanent copy of the King in Yellow, specifically the Red Book, always on their person at any given time, no matter what they did with it, whether they destroyed it, tried to get rid of it. They always had one in their back pocket whenever... Uh, pretty much at every turn in the game. Um, Some of them are genuinely useful. I I really like forgettable. The agent looks like nobody, even their forgettableness is unremarkable. They fade into the background. I could see that being useful in certain situations. And it does, in fact, uh, uh, cite a couple of situations where maybe a search or alertness roll has to be made at minus 20% uh, for people looking for them. Yeah, that for sure. I also used the Dreams Insight. Uh, to help the players uh, kind of end up being able to find their way a little bit easier to J.C. Linz's uh, spirit bottle, Uh, as well as the light gift where anything that was uh, affected by the King in Yellow's influence will glow or shine with this unnatural light. So definitely little tidbits you can use here and there to make sure you're keeping, as as the GM, uh, that plot moving forward and then giving the players the tools that they need to um, feel like they're continuing to make forward progress. Some of them yeah. are just fucking creepy. Um, like, for example, there's one called um, Exeunt, which is where uh, the agent and only the agent sees people exiting or entering strange passages in their peripheral vision. There's really no benefit to this other than um, losing zero to one d four sanity and gaining corruption. Uh, I use this to fuck with uh, one of my players, where all of a sudden they had a, a a vision of the encyclopedia salesman in the white suit and the red tie, carrying a briefcase and just climbing into a garbage dumpster and disappearing. It brings you into the notion that we'll talk about in a sense, which is that the world is collapsing. It, it, it kind of gives a, a perspective player to always be the one noticing that people are reading a script. And when you walk in, they, they start acting as if they're not reading that script or, or practicing or, you know, being part of the play, quote unquote. So that insight is definitely um, 
one of many that starts leading you down the road of of talking about the fact that the world is no longer normal. Absolutely. And and that's really a great way of putting it. it it's the world itself isn't I would say it's more their their previously quote unquote sane perception of the world is collapsing and now they're having to adjust to this new reality that uh, the all the world is a stage and they are but players on it and so um, the the unsettling realizations that that come with that uh, epiphany is is really fun to play with can you recall anything in particular that you did for your campaign to highlight that you know were there any NPCs or anything that happened uh, in the periphery that you pointed out Oh yeah, so uh, I'll I'll give you an example. So they uh, were arrested by the police uh, because they decided to um, get into a standoff in the middle of Doctor Barbus's house. Some shots were fired, and of course, I had the police show up a little unnaturally fast, which should have been clue number one. And I mm -hmm. think they were picking up on that. They probably thought I was just being a jerk, but which I was. But um, it was also just you know to, to speak to. They can be, why, why not both? Uh, just to speak to, to, to kind of the unnaturalness of it all. Uh, but when they show up, it's it's they start to see these little clues and hints that this is a set, right? Like the building is freshly painted. There's a fake video camera in the uh, interrogation room. Um, you know, the the van they were brought in was was recently wasn't even a real police van. Stuff like that. It's all uh, very much. Uh, indicative that this is a set and this is a set piece and this is a performance uh, to just really continue to drive home that the surrealist nature of this. And this is where I was saying where, where handlers really should just have fun with it. And yes. I'm sure that there are countless stories of handlers coming up with fun ideas to show off the, 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 kind of fakeness of the world we'd love to hear from you guys if you have any ideas leave it in the comments yeah. or message us on the discord let us know how you handled uh, this element but i mean just off the top of my head yeah you know like the players walk by and there's a random light on a stand or uh you know they they walk into what what they thought was a hallway but it's actually a painting on a wall you know things just become more and more uh artifice the artifice becomes more obvious um, and and I, I like the idea of a lot of the characters, a lot of the NPCs that they start interacting with from this point on, just having weird mannerisms or saying something off or l acting as if they're reading from a script, you know, showing how bad of an actor they are. Uh, just really take the time before sessions uh, in like a mat made of skin and think about just fun, silly little moments that the players can have with uh, anyone they interact with. Great advice. That's absolutely how I would play it, for sure. An obvious thing that players might do in this scenario is they might try to gather some more information, maybe yes. on individuals that they have suspicions about, or just trying to finally find Hotel Broadalbin, as that was the kind of the last command uh, sent to them from the, the clockwork child. Um, there is looking into Hotel Broadalbin, which they won't find anything, but there's a couple right. other options, too. The repairer, for instance, uh, Mr. Wet, Mr. Wist, Mr. Wist. Uh, an appearance again. Yep. Uh, you know, Ed Miller Wist, he could make contact with the team through any of his various agents still out and about in the world, uh, have them do various tasks. The, the, the really the way I've, I perceive, at least my interpretation of a lot of this, these are meant to kill time, build flavor, and really just present those opportunities to 
learn some of the, like the tangential pieces of the plot. Like, you know, for example, if they decide to go more into the Ars Goetia right. or, you know, Melonia and then the gold bug they could take any of that. It's really just to set up these opportunities for them to start observing and seeing the static team. Uh, yeah, because you don't want to just kind of give the players the end of the story, right? You want it to seem as if they're working towards something, as if they are the ones uncovering something. Uh, I was going to say that they, you should maybe as a handler remind the players of Wist because he was a broker of information. He did seem to have power and maybe he could be an avenue to get to where you want. And then you just use that whole scenario of how do you get to Wist? How do you communicate to him? And then what does he ask of you to get you what you want? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where definitely as the handler, be cognizant and listening to what kind of questions your players are asking, what kind of avenues are debating. And, you know, if it comes down to it, I, you know, a lot it, it's kind of a hot topic. Some folks like it. Some folks don't. I love that int roll sometimes just as a as a means of, you know, jock you know uh, jogging that intellect jogging that memory and being like you know based on what you're thinking about all of a sudden you remember hey you know maybe wist is a potential source of information or you never checked out barbus's house or maybe dr dallin is still bebopping around mm -hmm. and he can tell you something useful mm -hmm. so there's there's don't be afraid to to help your players uh get to where they want to be even though you know it's not the ultimate end goal i mean really if you wanted to just pedal to the floor and hit the gas you could have them being chased as soon as they pop out of that True. house that they ended up in but definitely you want to in my opinion you want to build up you know the surreal nature of this scenario and kind of do that slow burn up till that 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 chasing that fever dream of a chase <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there yeah if the agents are dense enough to return to the Dorchester house, although I suppose since Wist is there, there is a good chance they would return to the Dorchester house. Right. Um, they might get arrested. Uh, but as we discussed, if they are led to a police station, it basically uh, amounts to nothing. Yeah, they're booked. It's like it's all like a like something from like a terrible p procedural TV show. Like they're booked. They're put into an, an interview room with that fake camera. Um, just all these little indications that this is not like a, a, an actual operational police station. This is just a set. Uh, this is really the situation where handlers have taken the first, you know, half of this campaign super deadly serious and then you start messing with them here where you know you take them through the booking process and then you give them a wink when the cop uncuffs them and lets them wander down the strange hallways of the police station and uh, you know the things NPCs should say to them should always have this kind of maybe sarcastic or slightly off tone to it you really I think you'll throw your players for a loop if you change gears in terms of how you GM in this section you maybe if you if you take the uh, the professionalism out of your voice or out of your tone at this point in the campaign and kind of start having a little more fun with it. This is really just a prime opportunity to fuck with your players um, in the best way possible and and just enjoy the ride because uh, it's really it's really all it is at this point is a crazy is a crazy crazy ride. So we finally get to the static protocol chase. Uh, uh, you know, give us the setup. Uh, the, the players are, you know, maybe investigating something or they are trying to make sense of what's going on. And then what happens? So uh, the the way they spell it out is immediately a lone uh, static killer should should rush the agent's position and um, 
open fire. That's uh, nuts. That, that's exactly what happened with mine. Um, you know, they uh, be, the issue is that your players may misinterpret uh, in some cases. So, for instance, like, oh, we've been seeing all these signs of this team before. They haven't been hostile yet, so maybe mm. they won't be hostile now. Mm. Um, and one of my players had their faces blown off uh, insta-killed by, by a shotgun because we all know how deadly shotguns are in this game. Right. Um, and that got the rest of them running. The 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 issue is that they may think that they can outgun these guys, uh, and that's where you're going to have to, you know, they, they either don't go down or, you know, one gets shot, two more show up or yeah. something. It's it's the point is to get them to run, and if you need to make them, you know, realize you are you are outgunned and you are going to die if you stay here, that's where the gifts and insights can come into play, right? Mm. Um, all of a sudden, this door behind them is now glowing with this insight. Um, maybe you head that way and they head that way, and then that's when they start moving from set to set, from event to event, and you know, slowly making their way through this this kaleidoscope of different times and worlds and settings into uh, you know ever onward toward Brodelman. I'm sure the players have been wondering, what's the secret door? What's the key? Well, it's just this chase is the secret and, and, and you know, leaving reality is basically all that's happening now. It's it's kind of almost a, a, um, a ritual in a sense, a kind of magical ritual of like escaping reality in that way. So certainly uh, you can have, you know, let your imagination run wild as to what they come across or how they survive this. And the whole time there's people shooting at them. So that's fun. Yes. Yeah. Um, there are there are two options that players have. There's only only two things they can do. They can either attack or they can run. You know, if they run, the the static killer is a negative twenty to hit them. But if they uh, attempt to shoot while running, they have a negative twenty percent penalty. If, if a static killer is slain or disabled by an agent, cannot attack and is replaced by another in the next event of the pursuit, they, they're just going to keep coming. Um, and I think the more you know, that that's a way to uh, really reinforce that to those who may be thinking they can fight their way out of this. Or they just keep running and then they don't get shot. How does this pursuit end? Um, I, I, like I said earlier, imagine just kind of busting through a set wall and then on the other side is a street and, and there you see the uh, the Hotel Brodelbin. Yeah, they're, they they end up uh, you know turning a corner, going through a door, and all of a sudden they're on a they're on a street of what appears to be 1950s 1960s era New York. Um, the cars are of that era. The the manner of dress, uh, the overall environment is 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 that era. So um, you know, and then just just ahead is is that sign for the Hotel Broadleden and all of its Art Deco glory, uh, and essentially the players hopefully. They continue up, they continue up the stairs into the hotel, and then that's it. The book suggests that you could set the Hotel Brodelbin in other cities as well. Uh, yep. Maybe you don't set it to where it has the same 50s, 60s aesthetic, um, but regardless, it's you know it's just down to whatever your campaign is. If you're in a particular town or a particular city, or if you don't want to go, if you don't want to mess with the idea that they've traveled through time or whatever, you know, timey-wimey stuff you don't want to mess with, um, yeah. you could always just make it just another nondescript building on another street in whatever town you're in. The, the hotel is everywhere and nowhere, you know? And uh, the really big thing to play up to is once they actually get inside is that, that you know, A, the pursuit stops, like that nobody's mm -hmm. coming inside after them. And then they, they are just awash in this feeling of, of deja vu, of accomplishment. And any agent that makes it inside gets 1d20 sanity back. That's true. <laughs> um, 
Which is fucking huge. That's a lot of sanity. Uh, I mean, provided you roll well enough. Yeah. Um, just to really reinforce that feeling like you, you are uh, you are doing what you are intended to do. And this is exactly where you are intended to be. Um, and in fact, this is where I had, uh, you know, if any of, of your agents died, uh, either in the pursuit or previously, this is where I had them meet up with the team again. Um you know, as if nothing had happened. But of course, they, they you know, there's their clothes are bloodstained and they remember very vividly being murdered. Right. Um, but they're there in some form or another. Waiting. Yep. Uh, so this is, you know, one of those pivotal moments in the campaign where it feels like the players have finally made that progress that they've been desperately seeking. They've made it to Hotel Brottlebin. And we're only halfway through our discussion, so there's a lot left to cover. Yes. They make it in and, you know, it, there's a beautiful description of the interior. It's obviously a place that was once very lavish, but is now just over the countless years kind of dilapidated and fall, fallen apart. Um, one of the first people they meet is that man, Elmer Lissette, that we uh, had heard about. Uh, maybe Wist had uh, sent us on a mission to uh, find out information about him, but he is the kind of the... Uh, con concierge of the hotel he is yeah and he'll be their their first point of contact um you know he'll uh give them their keys uh make sure that they are uh they have their accommodations i like his description as being somebody who appears both young and old yeah yeah uh, i i actually met somebody just recently that i thought that before reading this and so i picture that person in my mind it's a kind of person that they look exactly the same as they may have when they were younger. They just have like more wrinkles now. It's a, it's a right. very strange thing. It speaks to kind of the, the, the timeless sur surreality of, is that a word? Just the timeless. It, it is on our show. Cause we've mentioned it at least before once. Or yeah. Twice. It's, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah. So Elmer, the old young guy is going to set them up at their rooms and lodging. He's going to give them access to the, to the dining room with the tokens so they can get their 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 meal and essentially yeah he is he is there to just make sure they are they are accommodated if you have a player who already has the gift of not having to eat uh i'm sure they'll enjoy being able to turn down those tokens but um yeah everywhere you go in this main floor is meant to make you feel at home and welcome i think there's a mention of when you walk into the dining room there's a feeling of like a comfort or maybe it's the back bar. I don't quite remember. Here. It is a dining room. Yeah, mm -hmm. they uh, they they feel a sense of relief or comfort, and that's where they can run into some of the other the other you know guests there, uh, familiar faces they may have encountered before. Some they may not have. Uh, th this is really this is a place that exists out of time, yeah. uh, and out of place. So really, they could ostensibly run into literally anyone from the history of the King and Yellow to somebody they encountered in this campaign, they can all be here at any given time. Going back to Rourke, uh, you know, Rourke is kind of uh, important in this instance is that he's a possible way of getting down to the Whisper Labyrinth. Uh, Rourke has taken on the task of trying to find the Whisper Labyrinth, as a lot of the NPCs have. Very few of them actually know um, how to get there. Um, but uh, I like that there's an element that Rourke is actually a possible source to get items. Um, in his room, apparently, he has a bunch of... Uh, you know, spelunking gear and stuff to uh, travel long distances. So if your players feel like it's important, he will be the, the one to go to for that. 
Yes. Yeah. He is. Uh, he was critical in, in, in our playthrough. He specifically, I th- one of the things he can ask the players to do is uh, collect these these birds that uh, nest in the Broadlebin lobby and they're active only at night. He can show the agents the room of a man who knows the Whisper Labyrinth. They're essentially just sculptures on the high ceiling, mm-hmm. but they're, of course, they're Mr. Rourke's dearest friends now. And he gets something from them. I believe he gets the golden beetle for one of them and, and eats it. He does, yes, to, for some some much needed clarity and insight uh, into the machinations of the uh, the the king in yellow. So you alluded to the the um, you know getting the little golden birds to have Rourke help you find the Whisper Labyrinth. Maybe we should talk a little bit about how to get there and some of the other options. It seems like the most obvious thing is that eventually one of the NPCs, and it does list one or two of them that do know of this. Uh, but the um, basement is where the players want to head if they want to find the Whisper Labyrinth. But there's a couple more hoops they have to jump through too, though. There are, yeah. So, so you know, nothing is is without a price, right? So, um, they either help Mark Rourke out. They can help um, the uh, elevator operator who is Guido is, Antonucci, aka Guido, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, Guido Antonucci. They can help him clear out the rats. Uh, uh, a literal uh, rat catcher mission. A literal rat catcher mission. A mission only. They are not. They are not rats. Um, <laughs> not rats. Uh, that one was was pretty was was particularly traumatizing for my players. Oh, so they did that one. Oh, what were they if not rats? Uh, they were the drowned children, uh, the victims of Asa Darabondi crawling around in the vents trying to get warm. That's right. I remember now. That's uh, pretty fucked up. Love it. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Um. What else we got? We got. They can uh, go down to the laundry where we can have that fun moment. Finally, uh, there is the exeunt laundry shoot element. Yes, yes. Where you know, if, if they went to the laundry shoot in the San Magina residence, I believe, um, anything they shouted down, they now hear and they realize, holy shit, we were talking to ourselves the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's a good time. It's gonna be a lot of brains exploding in this uh, scenario. For a sure. lot of brains exploding. Um, so yeah, they can have um, dinner with Charlie. They can go to the Arboretum. I think the Arboretum is an interesting uh, place. It's just kind of a space down in the basement that looks like an Arboretum, which is like a botanical garden. Uh, Mark Rourke is there because he thinks that's the way in, but it isn't actually. Right. I like that if yeah. they screw around in there, they can basically get trapped in there forever. Yep, because the plants are—I believe the plants are alive. Yeah. Oh no, it's a—it's a pile of sand. The, yeah, it's—it's it's that the uh, basically if they do anything wild like shoot off a gun or uh, even if I think if they're too loud, the book suggests that the glass above them starts to break and then sand starts coming in. Yes. Yeah. And they and have they to make some be, dodge rolls. They can be trapped. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, there are some. There are some ones that can go pretty badly uh in this one i think for even for example um there was a cleaning house the cleaning house path to the whisper labyrinth which they could get from um let's see elmer lisette yeah he'll show them if if you know they go to lisette ask for help he'll say okay but you need to do this you need to clean out room 830 and then i'll show you to the whisper labyrinth um and that's a room where um they are subjected to, as the book says, disorientation and psychic attack. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll replay a familiar scene, like they're in a, you know a briefing for another mission, an airplane flight at night, uh, 
gathered at a bar for a funeral of a, after a funeral for a friend or an associate, um, essentially they could, they could get stuck there and be consumed by their vision until, you know, their soul bottle ends up being the only, the only indication that they were ever there. Yeah. Um, it's basically like a skill challenge of, can you survive this, this room, uh, trying to trick you into the, into re-believing into the, the, the you know, the, the fake reality uh, yes. of what is reality. Exactly. Yep. 100%. So that one that one could be could be challenging. Um and then of course you have the rats in the walls and then uh you can even I believe I guess uh get assistance from Asa Darabandi. Um Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, you can it, find Darabandi in the drowning room. It's it's just one of the rooms you can come across as you're exploring the the basement. Yes, yeah. The 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 room where he is uh drowning children forever and in perpetuity. Um, in this this one room, he can eventually help them get access to a compass uh, that will point the way to the Whisper Labyrinth. Um, and there's even uh, tracks on the ceiling that they can follow because of all the puppets that are moving around the hotel. Right, that is a big yeah. thing, the marionettes. I, I, I do want to touch, though, on the drowning room. As we mentioned um, in our first uh, talk, the night floors, that had you drawn anything on the pictures that yes. you could see of the drowning room, those items will be there uh, waiting for you. Yes, yeah, that I believe they were in one of the um, the McAllister buildings, residences, sketchbooks, or paintings. If, if the players found those and then manipulated them in any way, like say they drew a gun or a knife or something uh, in that picture, it will now, all this time later, be in that room, which is which is wild to think about. So the players can explore the basement until, you know, knocking their head against the wall in these different rooms until they finally land on it, or they can kind of do a favor for some of the, the people that live uh, in Hotel Brodelbin. But either way, what they come to find out is they need to meet the sommelier. Yes, the sommelier, another another uh, marionette, however, one of... of uh, uh, considerably higher status than mm -hmm. maybe some of the others Definitely. um who uh you know essentially fairies soul bottles back and forth uh they can follow him uh to the entrance of the whispered labyrinth so they can either just meet him in room 830 once they've defeated the room or they can just see him wandering the halls late at night but either way like you said he's carrying a soul bottle to the whisper labyrinth and kind of in the sense that they were being chased, they now have to kind of chase him uh, into the Whisper Labyrinth. Right, at least to the entrance, because if they decide yeah. to go in half-cocked, it's not going to end well for them. Um, this is definitely an area where I don't want to say it, it could derail or stop the campaign, but it could, if, if agents aren't careful, there are definite, definite consequences to not thinking this through. Well, um, I'd like to hear your thoughts as to why, because I know that there is the, the mechanic of they need to roll to find what it is they're looking for, but how can it get uh, worse? Yes, yeah, they can be separated. Um, they can, they'll, they will lose sight of the entrance. The entrance will be gone. If they brought a rope, it's, going to, it's not going to help at all. Physical marks not going to help. There's really no way for them to keep track of where they are. So it is very important that they, that they stick together. Cause then if you split your, split your party that everybody gets lost. Now you've got to reconvene and gather everybody up again to it. It's it, not necessarily a, a, a deal breaker or a campaign ender, but definitely one of those things that can, um, 
make an already difficult task even even more insurmountable. I, I see. I see what you're saying. Where maybe the players might become frustrated uh, with the fact that they are no longer in contact with each other. But I think you could also make it work in the sense that you are now just targeting each player individually. Okay, you're alone. There's nobody else here. What do you want to do? And maybe each one of them goes in a different direction. Maybe they find their own soul bottle. Maybe they yeah. find JC Linz's soul bottle. Maybe one of them is running from the paper dragon or the paper tiger, uh, uh, yeah. which we mentioned was at Dr. Barbus's. It could possibly be down here. So you could have different things happening um, to explore the different options that you can find in the Whisper Labyrinth, but also to get to the, the resolution of it where you find JC Lynn's bottle. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a really, it really is a great point. Like if there are any manifestations you didn't get a chance to use in any of your previous uh, scenarios, now's the time to kind of start throwing them at, at the players. Um, you know, cause the, again, this is another place that exists outside of time and, yeah. and outside of place. And so whatever, whatever you didn't get a chance to explore, feel free to use it here so that, you know, especially if there was like a specific manifestation or event or NPC that really like spoke to you, throw them down here, see what happens. Um, how do you imagine the Whisper Labyrinth kind of visually? Uh, the way it's described in the book, I get very much like catacombs vibes, you know, those French catacombs, but maybe a more dreamlike version of that. Maybe there's always a thin layer of smoke at the, on the floor or something. Yeah, I was thinking like um, like an actual like cave, almost like a cave system. Like okay, these, so like wet walls, unfinished walls. Yeah, like black, these black basalt you know, walls and, and, you know, dirt, rocky floors. And, um, if there are alcoves they're they're just roughly hewn and chiseled mm -hmm. into the walls. Mm -hmm. Um, just but something very, soul bottles. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So something a little bit more, but I like that catacomb angle too. That'd be pretty cool. Especially if it like marries up different, you know, catacomb styles or architecture for different kind of like Carcosa does for sure. different like times and, and cultures. Um, yeah, that'd be pretty dope, especially like if, if some look like that. Uh, oh, you know that 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 church, and I think it's like in Eastern Europe and Romania, it's all bones. Yes, like that. yeah, <laughs> yeah, something like that would be fucking wild. There could be a wing of the Whisper Labyrinth uh, that is is all that. Why do you think they call it the Whisper Labyrinth? Just because oh, it's a cool name? Man, that's a good fucking question. I, I don't know if there's anything in particular that ever really points that out. You know, I wonder if it's because, like, because of the presence of the soul bottles, because, like, the, the implication is that once you pop it, something whispers to you. You oh, hear right. something. Yeah. And so I wonder if that's that's kind of the underlying motive behind that name. I wonder if you play with that motif more where maybe at this point as a handler, you only whisper to the players as they come in here. Yeah. Or maybe if if somebody, if they say, uh, I scream looking for the other players, you say, your voice only comes out in a whisper. You know, like oh, always like you know, really playing up this whisper angle. Uh, you could even maybe make the sommelier be a little bit of a librarian-like character where if they do to make too much noise, it comes flying in from the dark and tells them to shush you know yes yes in fact like yeah if if uh if they do end up i guess for all intents and purposes wishing for the sommelier to come to them um you know he'll appear and, and whisper to them come and see and take them to any soul bottle but their own he won't take them to theirs he'll take them to any soul bottle so he, he could be a, a critical resource to finding the jc lynn's bottle the players have the option of finding a couple different kinds of bottles the most important is J.C. Lindsay's. Uh, once they have it, it's 
very, very simple. There's no more exploring. I think as soon as they pick it up, the alcove itself opens up into yep. a new entrance. A new passage. And it is through that passage that they inevitably end up on the banks of uh, Lake Holly in Carcosa. Wow. Finally made it to beautiful yes. Carcosa. Beautiful, beautiful, <laughs> sunny Carcosa. Oh, man. Yes. Where black stars rise. Well, here we are at the end of Like a Mat Made of Skin. We even got into a little bit of the Exeunt Hotel Brottlebin to, to bring us to Carcosa. Uh, Vince, always your advice is helpful. It's lovely to just talk with you, to be able to walk through the complicated campaign and all the different avenues that you can take. Something I'd love to see is for all of you to take an opportunity to submit any and all questions you might have. Uh, we would love to kind of round out our final episode by answering some of your most burning questions about this campaign. You know, it could be about anything, things we liked, things we didn't like, things maybe we would change, or how we handled a particular set piece. Whatever you can think of, feel free to submit it either on social media, in a comment, what have you. Get it to us, and we would love to discuss it on air uh, next time we record our, our next episode. I think questions will be great, but even just kind of fun anecdotes about running the game. We're, we're getting them in our Discord from folks as they run their games, so please keep them coming. Yeah, anecdotes are great. We want to hear uh, how things worked out for you in some of these, especially especially if you did the mall ambush. I want to know how the hell your players made it out of that if they did. But folks, we are nearly at the end. Next episode, we will cover the end of the world of the end, the final scenario for Impossible Landscapes. And we will spend one final episode after that, wrapping up all of the exeunt materials, like the bookshop, the lost room, and so on. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to like and subscribe. We are covering every chapter of this campaign, so you don't want to miss these final episodes. If you haven't considered it yet, please join our Patreon because you are missing out. We are still creating unedited versions, long versions of these videos that go into a lot more detail. We're talking about maps, images you won't see, uh, uh, little minutiae about the campaign and the scenarios that you won't get in the 30 or 40 minute versions. So please consider subscribing for that content. So head over to patreon.com forward slash RP to sign up where any patron level can get you access to these exclusive episodes. Everyone, please be safe and we will see you next time. Be seeing you folks. Have a good one.